everyone, YouTube and podcast listeners, because we are there too. Um, I'm uh, Max Patton. This is Audox, the podcast where we interview game developers. And today we have Seth of Butterscotch Shenanigans. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Going well. So, um, for those of you who don't know, Butterscotch Shenanigans has made a few games. Crashlands has been, I think, the most notable one. We've also made Flop Rocket, Roy Rage, some others. Um, a lot of them, you know, both on mobile and PC. Um, so, I guess, let's get started with how your studio got formed. You are one of three brothers, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was in, I was in law school in, uh, back in 2010. And I had always wanted to make, uh, just make video games, and I never knew how. I'm from Iowa, and there's just no games industry to speak of there, right? Right. So, uh, so while I was in law school, I was kind of feeling more and more like I was just going down the wrong path. And uh, my younger brother Sam had uh, started up a game jam event down here in St. Louis, and it was. Not well attended. I think four people came, um, but through that event, he discovered Game Maker, which is it's like Unity or Unreal, but it's for it's specifically for making two D games. Mm-hmm. It has a very simple interface, and it's meant for uh, for making it really easy to get into making games, even without any programming background. Right. So, uh, so he sent that over to me, and I didn't have a programming background, and so I started playing around with the drag and drop stuff. And over the course of just a few days, it went from me just kind of poking around this program to me suddenly having all of these, you know, grandiose visions of (laughs) games I wanted to make. So I I moved to the back row in my law school classes and and just spent (laughs) all this time uh, that I should have been taking notes working on games, Um, which did pay off uh, in the sense that I, I got a a job offer about a year later because I was ending up putting probably 10 plus hours a day into game development. I learned how to program in the meantime and all this stuff. Wow. Um, so, so moved down to St. Louis, uh, dropped out of law school after the first year and uh, started working at a studio here in St. Louis. Um, Sam graduated from college around that time and he joined that same studio. So we worked together as part of a larger team for about, uh, about eight months. And, uh, as part of that, we were kind of watching what this team was doing as team of about 25 people working on mobile games. And we kept doing game jams, which, uh, I'm not sure if you're, are your listeners familiar with game jam concept? I think most of them are, but just in case they don't, you can explain. Yeah. So it's a, it's a 48 hour event where at the beginning of the event, you know, you get a theme that you have to incorporate into designing and building a game from scratch over the course of a weekend. And so we had been doing these game jams and we saw just how unbelievably fast you could pump out a, a fun game concept. Mm-hmm. And then we would go back to working on this team of 25 people where every Monday it was three hours of meetings and then everything had to be approved. And there's just all this uh, this sort of cumbersome process that's that's slowing down development. And so we kept looking at each other and we're just like, we could do this. Like just, <laughs> just the two of us could just go do this uh, without such a huge team, and so we, after about eight months at that studio, we left to start up Butterscotch Shenanigans, um, and so that was kind of, that was kind of the foundational uh, backbone of this of the studio was was this sort of we want to make games really fast out of game like the game jam kind of mentality. Right, the kind of like a really rapid phase of creativity and yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, and was your first game Towel Fight? 
Uh, well, actually, our, f- our first game was one that is no. Actually, I see we made two games before Talifight, um, that are both sort of nuked into oblivion. I believe you can still find them on our YouTube channel. Uh, the first one we made was called Chauncey the Rabbit, which we made in two weekends. It was kind of a really bad endless runner kind of a concept. Uh, and then the second one was called Gerblins, which was sort of like a fusion of Minesweeper and Tetris, sort of. So hmm. we moved on to Talfight. Uh, Talfight was our first real sort of commercial attempt at making a game. And uh, that was a three-month project, and uh, we worked on it full-time, where the other ones we worked on just on weekends and stuff. And so we worked on Talifight full-time, and we launched it in uh, February of 2013, and it just totally bombed. Like, <laughs> really <hard. laughs> Was it on mobile? It was on Android and iOS, and yeah. we had been doing a lot of reading of um, like Gama Sutra and GamesIndustry.biz and all these places where especially around that time it was sort of the people were feel really feeling the sort of oncoming tsunami of free to play games in mobile oh yeah and because it was still a bit of a new thing and uh there's this big pushback from all these sort of older gamers being like we don't we don't want this we just want to buy games and have them and be done right right so we were reading all this and we thought, oh, so people just want to buy games. Like that's what it seems like the overwhelming majority of people really want. So we're going to make a pay up front game for our first game. So we did that and then nobody bought it. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it was pirated like crazy. But oh, uh, wow. But yeah, no, no, no good sales really. So, huh. But I guess it did have a happy ending because you still make uh, pay up front games. And now uh, Crashlands, from what I hear, was a pretty good success, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of realized that it's there's nuance, right? So you can't just say people want to buy games. Well, no, that's not true. They, they want to buy good games and, <laughs> and they want to buy games that, uh, that they can get excited about. And so a big part of making a pay up front game is actually on the sort of it's a combination of sort of the polish of the game. Like it has to look really good and engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about the marketing of the game. So you need to get people hyped about it. And uh, free games, you know, you, you have an easier time on the marketing angle because you don't need to convince people so hard to try it out. Um, getting it noticed is difficult because there's just so many games. But but that first that first dive that people make into spending money on your game for a pay front game is like that's that's the big hurdle you have to get people over and yeah, with did. that with that first game we just didn't know how to how to do that so mm-hmm. definitely and i think the mobile market doesn't really have a lot of examples of like original ip being you know premium stuff like uh, yeah. you'll see your final fantasies and stuff released for like 15 whatever dollars or xcom and that could be a success but yep. you have very few i think you're one of the few studios that do make original games on that that are successful like um there's also Rocket Cat games and some others, but uh, it's kind of a niche audience or a niche. I don't know, like a it's there's not a lot of players in that market, I think. Yeah, well, it's it's something that's always kind of been interesting to us is people often talk about sort of PC gamers, mobile gamers, console gamers, um, as if there's sort of these like three tribes that are all warring against each other. <laughs> but really, I mean, most people I know who play games have a PC, they have a smartphone and they'll have a console of some kind. And so it's the same person uh, playing all these different games. And really the 
the problem is the way that the medium sort of treats games. And so uh, so on mobile, you know, you, you tend to get a lot of just an overwhelming glut of free games that are constantly nickel and diming you. And so as a player, you tend to behave differently toward mobile games because you expect to be kind of mistreated by them. Right. Right. Um, so the, the trust just isn't there. And it's something that we've we we kind of realized that we had to kind of earn that trust over the years by making even though we did make free games, we tried to make them in, a, in an honest and ethical way that wasn't sort of predatory and preying on people's. Uh, you know, kind of ad- addictive tendencies or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, yeah, like there's a stigma, like uh, there's a South Park episode about free to play games. You know, there's this whole big right. uh, cynical kind of stigma <laughs> people have against mobile gaming just because of its, uh, like you said, the kind of exploitative nature of a lot of it. And yeah. I think that's hard to overcome because you also release some of your games on Steam, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, just Crashlands so far. We did do a green light campaign for Tau Fight. Um, it did get it did pass green light, but we uh, afterwards we realized, you know, just the game isn't polished enough for us to to release. So, I mean, we could have done it and I'm sure it would have made a few sales, but um, I don't know. We just didn't we didn't want it, that to be our sort of first foot into the PC gaming. Community. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. But uh, Crashlands was on Steam and I think it got pretty well reviewed there too, as well as on mobile. Yes. Um, what do you think it was like, you know, you designed, I think, Crashlands for touch. It works really well as a, you know, RPG with combat and stuff on touch, which is a surprise. Uh, and on PC, I think it adapts well, pretty well too. How did you kind of get that to work? Oh man. Uh, well, we, we designed it for mobile first, and and I say that because mobile's interface is clumsy, right? So mm-hmm. with PC, you can you can fine tune any controls you want because you got a jillion keys. Um, yeah. You got a mouse, so you have precision control. You can do things like hover tooltips, which you can't hover on mobile, right? Mm-hmm. So so on PC, you have all these options that you don't have on mobile, and you kind of have to design toward the most restrictive interface first. Um, so we, we started with designing on mobile and because we did that, we actually had to reevaluate most of the uh, sort of conventions that crafting games use. Mm-hmm. And so the, the infinite inventory, that's kind of the hallmark of Crashlands, um, that that emerged from the fact that every crafting game we we played. So we did play Terraria and Minecraft and, and all these kinds of, uh, you know, really, really well-known crafting games that have mobile versions right and the biggest thing that gets in the way of the game is inventory management and mm-hmm. they all they all have these really awkward and, and clumsy interfaces that have oh multiple God, yeah. layers deep you know and you have to sort things and stack mm-hmm. things and build chests to hold stuff and yeah it's just and a it's, nightmare it's not just on mobile too like i think last year no man's sky one of the many uh issues with that game people had was the clunky kind of survival crafting yeah. elements. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, for some reason, you know, people are more forgiving on PC because, um, I feel like PC gaming is just a bit more comfortable. Like you do have a lot mm-hmm. of keys to use. You're sitting in a, a nice chair, you know, you got your, your big screen in front of you and mm-hmm. you're just kind of chill on mobile. You got this little screen and this smooth painted glass and you're kind of hunched over it. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> so like having these, these, uh, really awkward mechanisms to interact with the game, it really gets exacerbated by just the general experience of mobile gaming. 
Right. And so, you don't even know what the screen size is because, I mean, they could be playing on an iPad. They could be playing on a four inch iPhone. Who knows? Yeah. So so we always test on the worst device possible. So we have a, an iPod Touch 5 in the <laughs> office um, that it's like a, just a tiny, tiny screen, 512 megabytes of RAM. It's just right. a, it's just a bad, bad gaming experience. Yeah. So that was our benchmark where we thought, OK, if we can get this to be fun on this, then you know, we can scale, we can scale that up to, to other things. So, um, as we were designing the game, we just always had to keep that stuff in mind. And by, by adapting the game's design to play well, even on this sort of really tiny, awkward control scheme where you only have one input, um, then, then that easily cascaded into the rest of, into PC and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And what was it like, um, you know, on iOS, Crashlands was really well regarded. Touch Arcade gave it like five stars. It was, uh, everyone loved it. And then when it came on Steam and PC, how did you, what was the reception like from, you know, that faction? Oh, man. So it was really interesting um, because, so it, we're still in the 90% on Steam from our player reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think around launch, we were at like 94%. Over time, uh, as with, with most games, the review score kind of goes down a little bit because, you have that sort of initial hype of people who have been looking forward to the game and are really pumped about it, and they're always going to review it more favorably, right? right. Um, unless you betray them somehow, like No Man's Sky, right? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, around launch, our review score is about 94%. I think we're still in the low 90s. Um, but from critics on PC, it's like in the 70s. Um, and almost all of our PC professional reviews start with, this is a mobile game. So I'm going to, I'm going to sort of, and I hate mobile games because I'm a PC reviewer. So I'm going to point out all the things wrong with this because mm-hmm. it's a mobile game. Right. Ironic, so, ironically enough, I read, well, yeah, one of those reviews was from PC Gamer. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's really interesting because the types of things that they talk about, you can, you can tell that the, like the, it's just, the bias is just dri- like, it's just dripping off of it. Uh, so one of the great examples is I think it's in, in that very review. Um, there's a comment about how, how, because you get a new piece of gear every, you know, three to five minutes, you can tell that it's such a fast rate of progression that you can tell it's designed for a mobile gaming audience that has a, a basically zero attention span. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this was an, around this time I was playing Diablo three where this is a PC game, right? Right. Uh, very well regarded. And in Diablo three, you get a new piece of gear like every eight seconds. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, it, it's it's easy to just kind of start with a with a conclusion about the game and and then find everything you can point to that might support that. And that's kind of what we ran into on PC. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, we 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 only had the click controls, which we looked at. You know, for example, Diablo um, did the same thing, and uh, a lot of other games that have like a top-down view do the same thing on PC. But again, we ran into that uh, stigma where because we we're also on mobile, people pointed at the, the touch control or the click control and said, uh, "Well, this is obviously a mobile game, so I'm not going to play it." So we had to add. WASD movement, um, as well as controller support to mm-hmm. kind of point out like, no, look, you can, <laughs> you can play it other ways too. It's, uh, right. it's, it's meant to be played on everything. And so that, that's something that we are still trying to figure out how to overcome. And I know that it's going to be a challenge on our next game as well. I'm still, I'm not quite sure how to, 
how to do it, frankly. But mm-hmm. we'll try. Yeah, I'm guessing you worked on you know Crashlands for a while. It's a pretty ambitious project. Yeah, it was two two years. Yeah, so and you, that's interesting. You mentioned like the WASD controller scheme. What was it kind of like developing that? Because you know you make it sound easy, but uh, transitioning something from the kind of touch point and click model to uh, WASD or whatever, I don't imagine that's easy. No, I mean we we actually put uh, about three hundred hours of dev into controller support and WASD support because um, the the initial implementation is simple where you're just like oh yeah just uh wasd moves the character up down left right mm-hmm. except the character only it doesn't only move you know the character attacks things and throws stuff and interacts with objects and whatever right um and uh and if you click on something which is how you interact with things what happens if you then click on a thing so your character starts running over to interact with it and then you press a direction does your character cancel the action or, you know, there's a lot of kind of considerations that have to go into it. Mm-hmm. And so it took a ton of testing. Um, and it's, there's another interesting, uh, interesting sort of psychology challenge that we have to always be very aware of, which is that once you decide to put a feature into a game, that feature has to be perfect, right? It's better not to have it if you're going to do it badly. And so, so, uh, one, one example is we do have controller support, um, because so many people were asking for it and we did get a a number of positive reviews for people who were like, yes, thank you. This is fantastic. But then every now and then somebody has a controller that we, we weren't able to test on or whatever, or they have some kind of a weird setup (laughs) and they just, they just, even though they'll play the rest of the game and they'll enjoy everything about the game except for some odd behavior from their controller and they'll give the game a, a thumbs down on Steam because of that. Right, because so, controls are a huge kind of... I mean, that's the interface we use with games, so it's exactly. a huge, really hard thing to get right. Right, and so so by us putting controller support in there, we actually earned a bunch of negative reviews by giving the game this new feature because there were some things that we weren't able to fully implement with it at this point. So... Um, it's always something to be careful of. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's a good learning experience, like you mentioned, for your next game. Because uh, since this is your first really big release cross-platform, I think yep. it's good to kind of get those reactions and take feedback from it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so your next project, um, can you share any details on that? Like, is it going to be a Crashland-style project, like in terms of ambition? Um, it's starting to look like that, although it's going to be... It's probably going to be a lot faster. Um, while we were developing Crashlands, we had a lot of other uh, issues going on. Uh, Sam, who's our who's our artist and marketer, he was going through uh, chemotherapy and and cancer treatments during Crashlands development. So that definitely slowed down our dev time. Yeah. Um, and now we don't have that burden anymore. So he's he's doing very well. That's good. Which means. And we also have a bigger team. Uh, one of the one of the issues with developing Crashlands was we had a portfolio of four other games already out, and anytime an update happened for iOS or whatever, uh, we had to drop development on Crashlands and go and patch and update all those games. Mm-hmm. And with the success of Crashlands, we've been able to expand the team, so we now have a, a fully dedicated game mechanic, who is our our guy who uh, his. He's sort of like the shepherd of all of our old games. So he maintains them. And anytime a, a big update comes out or something, he gets them all patched and, and distributed. That's yeah, that's pretty good because I, I know there's iOS 11 coming out this fall and I think that drops support for 32 bit apps. Yep. 
yeah, I mean, and so this this kind of thing happens annually, right? And yeah. So, uh, on each platform, basically, mm-hmm. and so not having to worry about that means we can we can blaze ahead. We also have um, we have extra art power. We have extra tools developer. We have a uh, role that we call the studio wrangler, which is um, which is our person who takes care of legal and business deals and and all this stuff. And so all that previously was just being done by us, the three of us who developed Crashlands, and every single one of those things slowed down development, right? So so we're aiming to make a project that's about as ambitious as Crashlands, if not more so, but we think we can do it in about half the time this time around. So, nice. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, Crashlands and all your games right now, uh, I think, use the Butterscotch I- online ID system, right? Yep. And you develop right. it yourself to uh, kind of synchronize saves and uh, parks and stuff across platforms and, you know, across games. How hard was that to make and what made you kind of decide to do it? Um, so the, the reason we did it was, well, that's the first question, which is how hard was it to make? Um, so it it was easy to make, but we made it badly. So I think as with as with most things, if you are first solving a problem that you never encountered before, you kind of have to just start doing stuff, right? You do some research, but at a certain point, you have to just start doing the thing. And after you've done it for a while, you can go back and kind of look at all the, the things that you screwed up, right? Mm-hmm. And with B Scotch ID, it was kind of like that where Adam, who's our oldest brother, he joined the studio about six months into Crashlands development. Um, as he was a, a programmer, he was a PhD biologist, and he had learned programming by doing image analysis in, wow. uh, like on microscopes. And so he came into the studio uh, and he realized that we had this, this discoverability problem where anytime we launched a game, we basically had to beg for feature spots from Apple and Google and, and Valve and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if we weren't on the front page when we launched, we we're just dead in the water. Yeah, There's about 7,000 games coming out a week on mobile nowadays. Um, oh my God. And, and if, you're not, if you're not at the top on launch uh, week, then that's it. You're, that's it. Like that two yeah. years yields nothing. Mm-hmm. And so... So we kind of looked at this as a serious long-term threat because it's also the case that those numbers are going up and up and up. Because uh, when we first started, there were 500 games a week coming out on mobile, and that was only five years ago. So it's discoverability is a, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Bscotch ID, we realized two things. One is we could amplify the success of one game across our other games by if somebody buys one of our games, we can use our cross-platform perks to show them our other games so that if they're interested in those, they actually know about them. Um, And the second thing is uh, sort of longer-term player retention, which is through Bscotch ID, you know, we do need an email address to verify and all that stuff, which means we can also send out newsletters uh, right. that people can, people can of course opt out if they, if they want to, but we try to make them really entertaining and interesting and we don't want to waste people's time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so with this uh, email newsletter system, we, we first tested it extensively with the launch of flop rocket on iOS, which uh, yielded us about 40,000, accounts in nice. Scotch ID. And so when we started Greenlight for Crashlands, uh, we were able to send out. So I, we 
we do kind of a curated thing. So we sort of curated the list of our 40,000 people down to people who we were pretty confident are actually engaged with our stuff and and would be interested. Mm-hmm. And so when we started the Greenlight campaign for Crashlands, we sent out um, like 10,000 emails and we just blasted through Greenlight in 42 hours nice. uh, with, with just no no issue whatsoever. And uh, nowadays with, with uh, Crashlands where it is, we have about 400,000 people in that system, which means with the launch of the next game, we can once again send out an email and say, hey, you know, we've got a beta starting or, or whatever. And this allows us to amplify our own launches going into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're just less dependent on those those feature spots. Right. It makes you less beholden to these platforms, which in many cases can be kind of volatile and random um, and prone to a lot, a lot of change. If you look at um, Steam right now, like you, we keep talking about Greenlight, Greenlight doesn't exist anymore. Now Steam is kind of more like the app store where people yep. can pretty easily just throw any crap on there. Yep. Um, and so it's heavily based on curation. And that means if you don't get a spot, that can be tough. Exactly. And so so Beescotch ID is kind of our, it's our attempt to build a, a solid, stable foundation for marketing that we have control over that isn't going to be just blown about by, you know, the winds of change right. uh, and all these different platforms. Yeah, like um, Apple deciding, okay, this is how features are going to work now, and then you get screwed over. That would suck. Right. And so now we can say, well, we'll just feature ourselves. Yeah. With, you know, with this. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So as far as, as, far as the difficulty of, of building it, it, it amounted to... Uh, Adam just had to learn full stack web development. Um, so he took about six weeks to learn as much of that as he needed to, to get, just get the thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, so MySQL and PHP and JavaScript and all this stuff. Um, and then I developed the sort of front end of that inside of the games sort of mm-hmm. in tandem with him. So we had to hang up crash development for a couple months while we put this thing together. Right. Um, and uh, nowadays, we're, we're kind of hitting those scale scaling problems where if we want to move forward with Bscotch ID with our next projects, we actually have to rebuild it from the ground up. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what what we are in the middle of uh, at the moment alongside working on this this new game. Yeah, I mean, it's a learning process. And I think your studio is kind of typified by you have a lot of, you know, people from pretty diverse backgrounds coming together, uh, a lot of them not really traditionally in the games industry, and then working on these games. Um, And you also kind of open up about that. I think you have your own podcast, right? As a studio? Yep. Yeah, we have our podcast called Coffee with Butterscotch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if people want to listen to that, I'll link that too. Um, What made you decide to do that uh, and kind of open up about your game dev experiences? Oh man, uh, I guess a couple things. One is um, we were doing a lot of blog posts and stuff to try to stay sort of in touch with our fans and our, our players, um, but it, it just felt impersonal because only one person can write the, the post really, um, and it's a lot of we. Like we we are doing this, we're doing that, and it doesn't feel like it's really actually a person mm-hmm. talking about it. Um, and we also really wanted to be able to go and and give talks at GDC and, and do a lot of stuff um, that would require us to just be more visible as as actual people. And right. so the podcast was kind of a really good way to sort of get our foot in the door for that. It's a weekly thing as well. So it allows us to step back each week and kind of process what's been going on in the studio, but in kind of a public forum 
so that our players and fans and even other developers can kind of take a peek inside of our studio and just see just what's on our mind, uh, what kinds of think problems are we facing, um, what kinds of solutions have we come up with for the types of weird things that are going on in the industry, which there's always, you know, thousands of crazy things going on. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you find it's more of like an audience of fellow game developers or just kind of fans who want to know, you know, how the sausage is made? Um, I'd say it's probably about half and half. Uh, yeah, we, we do talk a lot about the development side because, of course, that's our that's what our experience is, is, mm-hmm. you know, we're developers first and and players second. And so uh, all, for us, all the really interesting stuff about games actually comes from making them, not necessarily from playing them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, well, good to hear. Um, and I wish you good luck with your next project um, as a studio. Thanks, Thanks once again for coming on. Um, and everyone, you can check out Butterscotch. There'll be links and their podcast. Um, and look forward to their next project. And if you haven't played Crashlands, you really should play that. It's pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so any more closing thoughts? No, I think uh, I just want to say this podcast is is fantastic. And uh, keep it up. I'm really excited to see see where this thing goes awesome thanks so am i um so if you do, and if you're interested in this podcast still you can check us out on youtube uh which most of you are probably just listening on but you can also get us on rss which means apple Podcasts, google play all that great stuff uh we're there too and those links to that of course as well and yeah that's basically it see you next time goodbye <laughs>